Let's get started. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of John chapter 20, or ch- sorry, John chapter 12. And we're going to be taking a look at that in a second. The fact that I forgot where in John we're going to be, probably not a great sign right now, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this goes. I do want to say right up front before we get going, um, I want, to, I want to cite my footnotes right at the beginning, just in case at, at any given point you're like, I feel like I've read this somewhere. Uh, yeah, a lot of a, a lot of where some of what we're going to be talking about is coming from uh, it has been heavily influenced by two specific books. One is a book called Love Wins by Rob Bell. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, and then another is a book called The Slavery of Death by a friend of Collective Church, Richard Beck. So um, those two books and I, I have been deeply influential to me over the years. And then when I saw in the lectionary what passage we were doing, I thought like, oh, okay, well, I've, I, have, um, I, have, I have literature that covers this. I've, I've, read, I've read a lot on, on this and this, this idea. So, um, so I, I, didn't, I did want to give credit where credit's due. And, I, and if at any point you were like, wow, that was really great. Well, yeah, because it didn't come from me. It came from either Richard Beck or Rob Bell, probably. So, um, I mean, you could probably say that about most Sundays, but especially today, that, that, could, that could be said for sure. So um, anyway, in a, in a few minutes, we're going to be taking a look at John chapter 12. Um, and we'll be doing that in just a second. I, um, an illustration I've used several times and I, I don't have with me an avocado. I had planned to run to the grocery store and grab an avocado. I didn't, um, for the sake of time and the sake of like, I don't really want to go all the way to the grocery store just to get an avocado when, you know, we're doing these. See, in normal times, I would have just like stopped at a grocery store on my way to the church and picked up an avocado, but because I don't have to leave my house anymore, um, the laziness has set in. And so I'm just going to like, imagine, I'm, I'm going to just invite everyone to imagine that I have an avocado with me. And I've used, I've used the illustration before of like making guacamole and, and, and table side guacamole. And uh, do you remember table side guacamole, by the way? Um, it used to be, you could go to restaurants and you could order, and I, I'm, I'm told you can, you can still do this in, in certain places. Um, it, uh, in like patio settings or whatever. I mean, it's Texas. You can probably pretty much do this anywhere. I just haven't. So, but used to be, you could go to a restaurant, order table side guacamole, and then um, usually like some like high school or college kid would come up with a cart and they would cut open an avocado and they would make the guacamole right there in front of you. And it was like magic. And you would start with just a list of ingredients and you'd end up with like some of the most delicious guacamole you've ever had in your whole life. And it begins with this avocado that's just like a million avocados that you could get at the grocery store. I one time I, I did this. This is just an aside. Um, I I was preaching at a at another church. It was a really big church, and I was using this illustration. And I actually had the the avocado. I you know t- taking the time to stop to get the avocados, and um and this guy I got done. There were like five services on a Sunday morning. It was crazy how many um, like the number of services we had to do. Just starting at eight o'clock in the morning, just rolling through them all. And so I got through like either the second or the third service. And this guy comes running up to me after the service is over and he says, hey, listen, don't go anywhere. I've got a, st-. he says, I'm a manager at this, at the on the border around the corner here. And I've got uh, some, some coupons for table side guacamole that I want to, I want you to give away. And so sure enough, and so he like runs out of the building and sure enough, like a minute later, he comes running back in with like a wallet sized sack of coupons for table side guacamole and he and basically he's like asking me to do his pr for him and he says and he says okay in the next service when you do this illustration i want you to just like hand out these these coupons to people i didn't do that because i I didn't want it i didn't want it to feel like and today's church service is brought to you by on the border um you know we're not quite to that point yet but but uh 
so, so I, I felt uncomfortable doing that. But if somebody came up to me after the service and said, hey, do you know anywhere where I can get some really good table side guacamole? I would, um, I, I would go ahead and hand them one of those coupons. Anyway, um, neither here nor there, really. But anyway, so it used to be you could go, you could go into a restaurant and they would like, uh, like some, somebody would begin with just an avocado and a bowl full of, or a couple bowls full of ingredients. And then by the end of it, you've got this very fresh, very delicious table side guacamole. And the thing about the guacamole is it begins as an avocado. And the thing about an avocado is it used to be alive. It used to grow off of a tree. And then somebody, in order for the guacamole to make it to your table, you had to take it off the tree that, that is alive. And you had to cut it open and make it into guacamole. And then somebody else has to eat it. And then that food gives that person life. Because if you don't eat, heads up, if you, if you don't eat for long enough, you don't stay alive. So whenever you're eating fresh food... You're eating something that was once alive, but it's not alive anymore. And so in order for me to have delicious guacamole, an avocado has to die. At least one, maybe two or three avocados have to die for you to have enough guacamole to feed the table. So it was once alive. It was once attached to a tree, which is attached to the soil, which gives it life. But in order for it to give me life, in order for it to, to provide food and nourishment to me, the avocado has to die in order for me to ingest it and have some sort of life. When you don't eat, you get hungry. And eating, because eating food gives you a certain amount of energy and it gives you a certain amount of life. It keeps us alive. It gives us nutrients in order to stay alive. In other words, if you don't eat, you die. But for us to live, something else, the food that we eat, has to die. Our entire ecosystem functions on a cycle of life and death. Re regardless of what your diet is, what you eat probably, hopefully, at some point was, came from something that was alive. And, um, and, and the, the more recently it was alive, we have a word for that, right? The word is fresh. The, like, the more recently the avocado was plucked from the tree, the fresher the avocado is. And so, um, which brings us, obviously, brings us to today's lectionary passage, which is in John chapter 12. So Jesus uses exactly this, not the avocado part, but he uses this basic idea, this basic imagery to describe what is going on with the work that he is doing. So in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, it says, now there were some Greeks among those who went, went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, which seems like an inconsequential detail. Like, okay, so these guys who spoke Greek go to Philip and say, we want to see Jesus. And then Philip goes to Andrew, and then Andrew. So it's like, like why all the vetting? The the theory is that probably Philip was a Greek was was fluent in Greek, and that's why they had to go to Philip. And so that's that 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 explains sort of like the telephone chain that get, got us to here. Neither here nor there. It's just an interesting detail that I found this week. And sometimes I find things interesting, and I want to tell you. Um, and uh, quite frankly, that's I, sometimes I feel like that's my entire job description is to find out interesting things and come and tell them to you. So um, anyway, so that's what's going on there. So then in verse twenty three. It says, Jesus replied, the hour, so the, these, this group of people come and they say, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus' reply seems to be to fully ignore what they just said and say something else entirely. And it says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Which by the way, anytime somebody, okay, anytime somebody comes up to me and is like, back when people used to come up to me, like closer than six feet, 
and say, hey, could we grab a coffee sometime later this week? My instinctual response is, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. <laughs> like, that's a, weird, that's a weird response to like, hey, um, there, there's a group of people here and they're requesting a meeting. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces seeds. So this group of people come and they say, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus's reply here is, um, there's some sort of like glorification that's coming, but it has to do with like a, a seed falling to the ground and dying. But when a seed falls to the ground and dies, it doesn't just like stop existing. The seed that dies becomes a plant or a tree of some sort. So a seed dies and becomes something else that is alive. So this group of people come to Jesus and they say, we would like to, or come to Jesus's followers and say, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus has this thing of, well, the thing is, there's the cycle of life and death. Why, why go into all of this? Why, why respond in this way to this particular request? So notice back, notice in verse 24, Jesus uses exactly the same metaphor that we just talked about. Seeds falling to the ground and dying, giving life to something new. And so why, what does this have to do with seeing Jesus? So first of all, um, what, what we find out later is that Jesus is, is describing his own like death and resurrection. The, the, this is this is what G Jesus is foreshadowing something that's, that's going to happen, which, by the way, is the thing that we remember on Easter, which is just in a couple of weeks. So this is what two days before Easter, Easter is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Two days before Easter is what we often refer to as Good Friday. Good Friday is about the death of Jesus, is about the crucifixion and death of Jesus. So Good Friday is a reminder that Jesus has died. That, some, that there has been a death. Good Friday represents death. There is something that has expired. There is something that has died. But the story doesn't end with death. It ends with resurrection, which happens on a Sunday. So we go from Friday, which represents death, to Sunday, which represents life. Jesus uses this metaphor of a seed has died, and then life has something has given birth to life here. So there's been a death and there's been a life. You cannot have the new life without first having the death. You can't get the guacamole without the avocado first dying. So the seed has to die in order for the tree to live. So you can't get to Sunday without going through Friday. You can't have a resurrection without a death. In order for something new, for some sort of new life to spring up, something has to die. This is what when we do communion, which by the way, really sorry, this would have been a perfect day to do communion. Once again, didn't go to the grocery store. So uh, I don't have an avocado, don't have communion supplies. Um, hopefully this nightmare will soon end. Um, anyway, but this is, this is what communion symbolizes. Communion symbolizes we are receiving the body of Jesus broken and the blood of Jesus poured out so that we can have life. This is the same cycle. This cycle has existed in nature ever since the very beginning. So all, all of this, Jesus, and again, it comes back to this group of people says, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus says, unless a kernel of seed falls to the ground and dies, a tree can't live. Again, why, why is this his response to, to this request? Because of the thing that Jesus is about to say next, which is Jesus at this point stops talking about his own death. 
It stops talking in this particular type of metaphor, and he begins talking about the people who follow him. So he says the whole thing about in verse, um, sorry, in verse 24, where he says, uh, if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then he goes directly out of that into verse 25, which says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Um, eternal life, by the way, we, we often, this is another aside. I've got a million asides here. Eternal life, by the way, we, we tend to, because a lot of us grew up in a Sunday school classroom where eternal life is like you die and you go somewhere else. And that is, that somewhere else is eternal life for Jesus in the Jewish sense. Eternal life in Hebrew is, uh, is the term olam abba. Um, and it, which, which is not about like a place you go after you die. It is a way that your life continues to extend from this point forward. It is your life is now, and then even even into death, you continue to live the life that you're living now. So, um, so anyway, that that's what Jesus is, when when Jesus talks about eternal life, he's saying like there is a life like your life is much bigger than just like what is happening right now in this moment. So and then in verse twenty six, it says, "Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me." So Jesus tells his followers, in order for you to fully live, there are going to be some things that have to die. And so, so the idea here is this group of people. So, so if, you, if you look at this in, in a series of movements, this group of people comes and they say, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus's response is, in order for something to live, something else has to die. And then Jesus says, whoever follows me. Is gonna, there, there's going to be a cost. There's going to be some sort of death. So Jesus tells his followers, in order for you to fully live, you're first going to have to die. There's going to have to be something that you lose. There's going to have to be something that is broken open and poured out, not unlike when we observe communion. So it's possible here that Jesus is talking about the literal death for some of the people in the room because that does happen to some of Jesus's followers, to a lot of Jesus's followers in the first century. But for us in the 21st century, life and death are not just about, is my heart beating or is my heart not beating? Life and death is about who am I becoming in the world? So when the group of people come to Jesus and they say, we would like, or come to Jesus's followers and say, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus goes into this whole thing about how in order for something to die, something else has to, or in order for something to live, something else has to die. And just like that, in order for you to fully follow me, something in you is going to have to die and something else is going to have to be given life. What does it look like to see Jesus? Well, sometimes it looks like something dies and something new is born. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it's just this very short verse. You can feel free to look at it if you want to. But in Ephesians 5, verse 21, this guy Paul is writing to this early church and he's writing about what does it look like to be people who follow the way of Jesus. And in verse 21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What do we mean when we say submit to one another? Well, it sounds a lot like people who follow Jesus are supposed to be the kinds of people who allow parts of themselves to die on behalf of other people. That there is some sort of internal like breaking open and pouring out so that somebody else can have life. Not in the literal, again, not in the literal biological sense, but in the way that we interact with each other, in, in the way that we conduct ourselves in the world, in the way that, in the way that we interact with the world around us. That, that if, if my whole posture is about self-preservation, by the way, again, cannot recommend Rich, Richard Beck's book, Slavery of Death, 
highly enough if this is something that, that interests you. But um, if, if my whole interest is in self-preservation, then my world becomes very, very small. But if I begin to sort of loosen my grip on that kind of thing, and I begin to allow for the possibility that some things, some things that I hold dear are going to have to, I'm going to have to let those things go in order for there to be life, then all of a sudden the world gets a little bit bigger. Life happens through the process of death. When we serve other people, when we love other people, when we are kind to other people, when we go out of our way to help other people, we are submitting to other people in a certain kind of way. We are allowing ourselves to die a little bit so that somebody else can have life. And there's a cost to that. Um, just a, two nights ago, one of our kids was having nightmares. And um, when our kids have nightmares, and I'm, they don't wake me up, they wake up Caroline. And um, I wish I could tell you that I was sadder about that than I am, but um, they, you know, they're looking for comfort and uh, Caroline is a much more comforting person than me. So uh, one of our kids was having nightmares the other night and, um, and Caroline ended up having to stay up almost all night with her and then go to work the next morning. And um, she was exhausted. But the thing is, when you're a parent, and I mean, so many of you already, I mean, you, you don't have to be, this doesn't have to be explained, but um, a, a lot of times our kids need things from us and the things that our kids need from us cost us something. They cost us sleep, they cost us time, they cost us money, they cost us energy, they cost us things that perhaps we'd rather be doing um, in, in that particular moment. And in those moments, we are allowing the things that we would prefer to be doing in those moments to die a little bit because there is this kid that needs life right now. There's a kid who's scared and they need comfort. There is, there, there is someone in my proximity that needs something from me. And in this moment, I have the capacity to break myself open and pour myself out so that this kid can have some sort of life, but it's gonna cost me something, right? So we see this kind of opportunity all the time. You don't have to be a parent to understand this. You don't, you don't, have, to, um, you don't have to be any particular thing to understand this. We, we all understand this at a fundamental level, right? That anytime we do something on behalf of another person, there is a cost to that. There is anytime an, an act of kindness is, is is a choice that we make. An act of mercy is a choice. An act of forgiveness is a choice that we make. So, um, so what Jesus is talking about here when he says, yeah, in order for, this group of people says, you're in order to see me, or this group of people says, we would like to see Jesus. And Jesus' response is, okay, well, here's the thing. Sometimes a kernel falls to the ground and dies and a tree is brought up. And just like that, whoever sees me, whoever follows me is gonna have to be the kind of person who breaks themselves open and pours themselves out for the benefit of somebody else. There's a cost to this. There is, a, there is a cost to being the kinds of people that we were created to be. Now, just really quickly, I wanna make a, a quick aside about self-care because a lot of times it's easy to do these kinds of sermons, lessons, talks, what, it's easy to get into a conversation about this. And what it sounds like we're talking about is deny yourself constantly and have no sense of self-care, self-preservation, self-love because um, if, if all we are doing is breaking ourselves open and pouring ourselves out, at, at some point we become empty, empty vessels and we'll, there's nothing left to break open and pour out. There have, there have to be moments where we take a break and we, we allow for the blood to be poured back in and the flesh to be put back together. Otherwise, we, we, are, we, are, not, we are not capable of 
dying to anything because it's already dead. And so there has to be something alive for there to be something that's dead in order for, for something to, for, in order for something in me, in order for me to die to something inside of me, that thing has to first be alive. You know what I mean? And so don't let this be sort of a lecture about like neglecting self-care. Self-care is incredibly important, especially in the times that we've been in. Um, y'all know that I had to take some, some time. I had to take a, a little mini sabbatical for my own mental health. Um, not too long ago. And, and the reason is because I was an empty vessel and I had nothing left to give. And, um, and, and so if, if you're in that place and you're hearing this and you're feeling really guilty because you've got nothing left to give, please don't feel guilty about that. You need, you, the blood needs to go back in. The, the flesh needs to be put back together. So uh, what we're talking about here is when you have that reserve of energy, when you have something that can be given, then, then we've got something to work with right? So anyway, that was just an aside. So please take care of yourself. Please don't, don't hear this as some sort of, um, like call to neglect self-care. Self-care is, I, I, we cannot overemphasize the, the importance of self-care. Anyway, back to, back to the main round. I got I've got, I've got a million of these like little like tangents, but, um, so basically here, when Jesus says this thing about his, like some of you are going to have this and some of you are going to have this. Jesus articulates two opposing postures. One posture is those who love their life and lose it. And then the other posture is those who die and then somehow truly live. So it's this paradoxical, weird sort of thing that Jesus is laying out. What, what is he saying here? Jesus is saying, when we serve only ourselves, when my interests and my preferences and whether or not I, or, or whether, whether or not I want to confront the, the difficult things in my heart, are my only concern, my world shrinks in such a way that I'm the only person who can fit inside of it. I love my life so much that I lose my capacity to truly live. And, and by the way, I struggle with this as much as anybody does. This is not me saying like, look what I've discovered here. This is, this is me saying, this is a journey I'm on. You know, it's, it's, it's so much easier for the world to get small. It's so much easier for me to only have concern for myself. Um, on the other, so that's, so Jesus says, yeah, there are those who love their life, but in some sort of way that they, they die inside, they, they will lose it. But there are those who die to something and then they will truly live. Their lives will get bigger. On the other hand, when I decide to die to myself a little bit, when I allow other people's safety, other people's well-being, joy, etc., to be a, of a concern to me, I may be dying to myself in one way, but I'm coming to life in all kinds of other ways. I'm discovering that, that the world is a much bigger, more beautiful, interesting place than I ever thought it was. This is, um, I, and, and there, there are thousands of examples of, of what we could be talking about here. What do we mean when we talk about breaking ourselves open? What do we talk about when we talk about submitting to one another? And I often think about this, there, the whole concept of the culture wars and like that just gives me tired head so so quickly. But one of the things that you hear a lot is like that political correctness, like like people complaining about political correctness, right? Like the, the, this is something that they shouldn't have to do. But what do we mean when we talk about what, when when someone talks about political correctness, what are we talking about? Well, at its core, being politically correct, political correctness is we're talking about using language in a way that someone else has asked us to use when we talk about them or about the people that we love. That's it. 
That's what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about someone has said, I would prefer you use this language to describe me and my group of people or, um, or, or, or something else about me. And then somebody else saying, but I don't want to do that because I've, I've never had to do that before. Political correctness is, gone, is run, running them up. But all this, I mean, really all it is, is, is somebody saying, when I hear you speak about me or to me in this language, I find it dehumanizing. Could you please use different language? And if, if we instead decide to say, sure, the very least we can do is talk to and about people in the way that they've asked us to, that is literally the least that we can do. Using someone's preferred pronouns is a really easy way to submit to one another. Are you with me? So we're not talking about massive exercises of like, like breaking ourselves open and dying in these like big dramatic kinds of ways. We're talking about these tiny little ways that we can just so easily sacrifice a tiny little bit of our own preferences and comfort in order to rehumanize somebody else. Um, or does it bother anybody else? Th this has been, this is going to be a thing that it's going to take me a long time to get over. But does it bother anybody else that Christians have been the most difficult group of people to drag along during this pandemic and, and encouraged to act safely? You know what I mean? Like the number of times I, as a pastor, have been told by somebody else, um, you know, it's, it's all about faith over fear. You know, we, like you shouldn't have to wear a mask because faith over fear. You shouldn't have to social distance. You, sh you should be back, like, I, you know, you should be back to having like full services, unmasked. Um, faith over fear. Faith over fear is the is the slogan for the group of people who who have lecture points for me. Um, here's the thing, though. Faith over fear is not Jesus's mandate here. Jesus's mandate is not go and do things that are dangerous to other people in my name. That is never what Jesus tells people to do. The call here is not faith over fear. The call here is your something inside you is going to have to die a little bit for the sake of someone else. Sometimes wearing a mask around someone who is medically vulnerable is the least we can do. Like, and yeah, maybe you don't like wearing the mask. Most people don't. Um, but the thing is, what we're doing is we're showing kindness to our neighbors. What we're doing is acting out of hospitality and concern for those among us who are most vulnerable to this virus. So, when you hear a Christian saying something like, well, faith over fear, they're speaking for themselves. But the thing is, this isn't something that just affects them. What we're talking about is things that affect other people. And so me expressing a little bit of extra caution so that somebody else can feel safe at the grocery store is the least I can do. Are you with me? So I, I would argue that the people who follow Jesus should be the first to raise our hands and ask, okay, listen, how can we help? How can we make things easier for, for other people? How can we show kindness to other people? How can we care for the most vulnerable members of our society? What can we do to die to the self-righteous parts of ourselves and instead give life to the parts of ourselves that actually care about our neighbors? And so this is what we're talking about. This, and this is why, maybe this is why Jesus says the way is narrow because these are hard things for us to internalize and carry around with us in our hearts. Because the call here is not to be more brazen and more like, you know, thumping our chests and acting like we have nothing to fear or whatever. The, the call here is 
what is it that has to die so that somebody else can have life? This group of people says, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus' response is, okay, well, then some things are going to probably have to die. In, in, order, in order for you to fully see what we're doing here, there's going to have to be something inside you that is willing to, that you're willing to loosen your grip on a little bit. So may we be the kinds of people who allow for the things inside of us that we're holding on to to die a little bit so that somebody else can have life. May we be the kinds of people who give life. When we need self-care, may we administer self-care. May we, may we have something in us that is alive first. May we remember that we don't get to resurrection before there's a death. So for those of us who are beaten down, emptied out, hollow, exhausted, maybe we first administer self-care. And then when we get to the point where we have it within us to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out, may we do that. May we become the kinds of people who are, at, who are saying we would like to see Jesus. And we understand that what that means is that something inside of us is going to have to die so that something bigger, so that the world can get a little bit bigger and so that we can fully live. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this invitation to break ourselves open and to die, to submit, to become the kinds of people who give life to others. May we acknowledge that one of the more difficult callings that we've been invited to participate in is giving life to others. May we ask questions about what that looks like. May we become the kinds of people who are concerned about the well-being of our neighbors, our friends, strangers, the people that you would often describe as the least of these. And may we become the kinds of people who are willing to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out so that someone else can have life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all so, so much for being with us today. Um, again, we will let you know just as soon as we have a plan for um, returning to some kind of, in some form, uh, in-person services, we will let you know. Um, I'll do my best to keep everybody up to date on, on all of that. Please be safe. Have a great week. Grace and peace be with you.